We're not going to go, we're not going to talk about worship today, although there's a little element of it. I really felt impressed yesterday to just put that aside and just to talk about how do you handle situations like this. How do we go through it? And a scripture came to me. Say, when things go wrong, when things don't go the way we expect that they ought to go, it's amazing how many ideas people have and things our minds run to, and I'll let you in on a secret. Nobody knows. Only God knows. So we've got to turn to the one thing God's given us that we know is true, which is His Word. And not have theories and ideas about what happened, how it happened, what's going to... Just always turn to the Word of God, because that's what God's given us. And not only to know and understand, but also to stand upon for strength. And over the last day or so, I just... I sat down and there was some thoughts that came to me and I wrote them down and I've, scriptures came to me and woke up last night in the middle of the night and my mind was running over all of this and I just got up and I just sat there for a while and wrote some more things down and then I got up this morning and was praying and I really felt the Lord say to me two words to share with you. Two things He wants to communicate to you this morning. And that's comfort and perspective. God wants to comfort us this morning, as only He can. But then we need to put everything in perspective, because in the process of being comforted and experiencing the emotion, we can lose sight of how God sees everything. And we can lose sight of, of the, the bigger picture. And so what I want to just lead you through this morning is one of the most cherished pieces of Scripture. It was written by a man inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you've heard me say, he didn't just write sitting in a theological seminary writing some theory. This man wrote this having lived out in the wilderness taking care of sheep, having to deal with all kinds of things out there, four-legged things, <laughs> uh, the imaginary things at night, out there alone in the wilderness taking care of your family's flock, all alone dealing with predators, dealing with your emotions, dealing with whatever it is. And of course, it's King David. And he learned something about his God by going through those experiences. And I found in my life that, <coughs> excuse me, the greatest things I've learned about God and the greatest things I've learned about myself has not been sitting on a beach in Florida with a cup of iced tea in my hand or a Diet Coke, just it, but it's been going through the difficult times. And King David wrote, he wasn't king then, he was a shepherd boy, wrote out of his experiences and his, that he've learned about his God and about himself these words that are so powerful and so important to us today. He learned that the Lord is my shepherd. He looked around him and saw the responsibility that he had to take care of these sheep who were in times endangered and didn't know they were endangered. In times wandering off and he had to go get them back, they didn't know they were wandering off. 
They didn't even know what they needed. They didn't even know what, they just knew what they were experiencing and going through. And his father had assigned him as the shepherd to watch over them. But in the process of that, God began to teach him, just as you are a shepherd to these sheep, I am a shepherd to you. And I felt the Lord impress upon me to share with you this morning and remind you of something I know you know, but just to be reminded of, that he is your shepherd, our shepherd this morning. He is the shepherd of Faith Christian Center. I'm an under-shepherd, I represent him to you, but he's the shepherd. And the significant part of that is the, the Lord is my shepherd. That ought to be encouraging to you that John's not your shepherd. <laughs> the Lord is your shepherd, and he may use me, but he is our shepherd. And because the Lord is our shepherd, there's certain things David learned about him. The Lord is my shepherd, and because the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I won't lack anything. That's not just talking about grass and water for them to eat. It's not just talking about material things. It's whatever it is in your life, whatever you have need for right now in your life, and many of us right now have a tremendous need just to get through this. Comfort, assurance, whatever it is. And the assurance we have is because He's our shepherd, we're not going to lack anything. We're not going to lack whatever it is that we need. The Lord is my shepherd, and because the Lord's my shepherd, we're not going to lack. I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sometimes shepherd, sheep have to be made to lie down and to be quiet and to feed, because the green pastures are so that they can feed, so that they can get the nutrition and the strength in it. And there's times as we go through this that it forces us, it forces us to be quiet. It forces us to reflect. It forces us to turn to the Word of God when we may be so busy that we have kind of do that as an afterthought. But it for, and it forces us to pray. It forces us to go to those places, spiritual places, where we draw our strength from that maybe we've not been quite as diligent about. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One of the characteristics of sheep is that they won't drink if the water's too, too, much, too much turmoil, if the water's too, too bubbly or too moving too fast. They have to have water that looks safe to them to drink. And, and in times like this, where, where we get thirsty, where we need something desperately, that, that we, we'll try to reach out for things. You know, one of the things we do sometimes, which is human nature, but it's not a good part of our nature, is we'll get glued to the TV looking at the news. You know, once you've seen it, it's no longer news. You keep watching the same reports over and over again, looking at every different channel, looking on the internet. It's no longer news. You're actually building fear into your life. You're feeding on something that's not peaceful. You're feeding on something that will trouble you and gets you anxious. And when you're troubled and anxious, it's very hard to hear from Him and allow the Comforter to work in you and to do His work. So He leads us. 
Notice with the grass, He makes us lie down. But with the water, all He can do is lead us to it. He can just lead it to us. He lead us, leads us to still waters so we can drink of that. Now, where are the still waters? Well, we've been studying John chapter 4, where Jesus comes to the woman at the well, and Jesus says to her, you know, give me a drink of water, talking about the natural water. And then he says, if you knew who I am, you would ask of me, and I would give you living water. That what? Would become a fountain or a well or a source of living water in you that you could then draw life from you that satisfies your needs. He's put living water in you. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. And at times like this, where we should get our refreshing from, really all times, but especially in times like this, the place to get our refreshing from is in here. It's not in gossiping with one another. It's not in speculating. It's in here. He provides refreshment. He provides that water that will bring life back where there's death, where there's gloom, where there's discouragement. He will bring that life to you, but you've got to look within you. But because He's your shepherd, He provides it for us. So the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I'm not going to want in this situation. I'm not going to lack whatever it is that's needed. He makes me to lie down in green pastures so that there's, I can eat what it is I need to be strong. He leads me inside to the, to the water, the, the well, the fountain of water that's within, which will refresh me and give me life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Because he's my shepherd, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Not because of anything I've done. And this was the verse that really struck me. Though I go through the valley. Valley's a low place, isn't it? It's a place where the walls around you are there and they look like they're gonna, they can come in on you. It's a place where you can feel hemmed in and, and it's a low place. The Bible of the Valley always speaks of a low place. We go through times of a loss like this. It feels like we're in a very low place. And we look up and it looks like, I don't know that I can ever get back up there again. But the key word in there is, though we go through. Though we go through. Though we go through, though we go through, though we go through the valley of the shadow of death. What's a shadow? A shadow is what's cast when the light shines on an object that's real. But the shadow has no real substance to it at all. There's a shadow being cast in front of me right now. It's right in front of... Well, not quite. Now it's in front of Phyllis's feet. <laughs> but if she were to stand up and jump on that shadow, it wouldn't hurt me. Why? Because that shadow is not me. But it tells me that there's a real me here. And what makes that shadow visible is the light that's shining on the real me. 
death to a Christian is a shadow. Now, shadows can scare you. Shadows can scare you at night. I remember as a little boy waking up. This is one of the few memories I have when I was about five years old. I remember waking up in my room one night, and there was this, there was this thing on the wall. I mean, this was, thing was, this was some monster on the wall that was come to, dis, to, to destroy me. And I'm, you know, I yelled. And it was my mother and my father came running in the room. What's the matter? That thing's on the wall. And they turned the light on, and it went away. It was some little thing I used to carry around. I won't tell you what it was. <laughs> that was sitting up on my dresser, and the light coming in the window had reflected off of it, and this, whatever it was, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I was five. <laughs> I gave it up last year, so you can be, you stop praying for me. <laughs> My wife made me put it away. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the light coming in the window, reflecting off of it, made it look like something that it wasn't. Made it look bigger than it was even though it was something that really existed on my dresser. And so it scared me because I was looking at the shadow that looked bigger than this thing. When she turned the light on and the shadow went away, I looked over and saw it was this thing sitting on my dresser and it was only this big. And I was familiar with that, so I wasn't afraid of what the real thing was. I was only afraid of the shadow that it, the light cast that made it look like something more than it is. And on this side of death, our experience of it, it's scary. Let's be honest. It's scary because we don't know what it, what's real. We know what the Bible says and we're going to talk about that. That's where our faith is. But it's a shadow of death. Because to a Christian... When you became a Christian, that was your death. You died. The real you died. Romans chapter 6 and all throughout the Bible, you died. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified. Not will be. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. All through Romans 15 and other scriptures that we use in funerals talks about how we've already died. So, so death to a Christian is as painful as this. That was my body. It's taking your body off. And now, you know, you know the only source of trouble you have is this thing. That's the only avenue Satan has into your life is this thing. Not, your, not my suit coat, but your flesh. <laughs> and so when a Christian steps out of their body, they step out of the only trouble they really have anymore. Into the joy and freedom of the presence of God. Paul said in Philippians, he said, he, he was, Paul had an incredible perspective on this. He saw it as a shadow. He didn't see it as real. Paul said, you know, I'm at a point where I've got, you know, I don't know whether I want to stay here or not. I've had days like that. 
says, I don't know whether I want to stay here or go on. He says, because I realize that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But I've decided for your sake, it's better that I stayed. So the only thing that kept Paul here, wanting to be here, was not that he was having such a wonderful time. Not that he was holding on to this life. What only he wanted to be here was because he realized there was still a purpose for his life. The Bible says, and I want to, I want to give you the reference here. I want to make sure I'm right. In Proverbs 14.32, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of His saints. See, God doesn't see death the way you and I do. We see death and experience it as a loss. We see death and experience it as, the, as, the, as failure, as the end of something. But it's like for a child... We had, our, we had our grandson's birthday party yesterday, you know, and, and, and we had the nice dinner, and that was good. But all he kept saying is, when do we get the presents? Uh, the dinner's nice. It's good to have Papa and Emma over. It's good to have the, you know, the cheeseburgers and the other unhealthy stuff we ate. It wasn't all unhealthy. It was, it was good to have fun. It was, it was nice. This was good. You know, I'm enjoying this. But he had a perspective. He says, I know why we're having this day. We're not just having it to have my grandparents over. We're not just having this day so that we can have cheeseburgers and cake. We're not just doing that. There's a purpose to this day that's beyond the meaning of just the meal, beyond the meaning of just the dessert, but it's those presents that they've got. Now, he let me in on a secret last week, last Sunday. He was out in the foyer and he's talking to me. He says, Papa, I've been searching around the house. I've been looking around because I know there got to be some presents there, and I'm trying. I said, "You're not going to open them." No, I never would open them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he had a view. He was looking forward. I'm telling. I don't know how long he's been talking to us about how many days that were left. I mean, hmm? oh, at least his sister's birthday was in August, and he was already talking about his birthday in in October. My birthday's in September. We just flew through that one. I mean, he was just thinking about... Because ever since, I don't know, somewhere this summer, when it really focused on him, my birthday's in sight. That's what his conversation's about. That's what his view has been on. Because he had a perspective that his birthday was not just about the meal, but there was something at the end of the meal that was going to be what he was really looking forward to. I've got news for you. This life we're going through right now, it's the cheeseburgers, the french fries. It's the meal part, which we enjoy, and we have to eat in order to, be, to sustain ourselves, this body. But there's a presence at the end. <laughs> in the corner of the room, he had, there were presents in the corner of the room. There, there's, there's an end to this meal. And what we're waiting for, what's at the end, is not more cheeseburgers. God has gifts. He had things for you. And God's looking at it from the other side of the presence. God's looking at it through eternity. God's looking. So that's why the psalmist recognized death is a shadow. 
Oh, yes, in a valley it can be scary, it can be frightening, but it's just a shadow. Do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil. When something like this happens, it's interesting because I noticed a number of years ago when I would hear about, you know, so when his relative died, the first question I would ask would come to my mind was, how old are they? And I'm the kind of person, when I start asking questions of other people, I ask myself, why are you asking that question? And I realize, why do I, why does, you know, why, at this point, what does it matter how old they are? And then I realized, because my mind is trying to fit into a picture of what I expect life should be and fit this event into it. So if I found out that they were a certain age, and the older I get, the further out that age gets. <laughs> that if they were over a certain age, well, that kind of fits into your expectation. Well, yeah, I mean, they were 90 years old or 100 years old or whatever it is. It used to be 70. That's not so old to me anymore. I'm not there yet, but it's not that far away. So it's, you know, so I'm now out in the 90s and maybe some beyond that because I know there's some of you in the 80s, so I'll be way out there for you. But my point is this. What was my point? I lost track of it. <laughs> age, I got that part. What about age? Perspective? Something like that. Okay, it'll come back to me. Oh, yes. Yeah. See, our mind has, is a, has a drive in it to have meaning out of everything. Because if we can understand what this means and why this happens, it makes us feel secure. If there's a reason behind it or a purpose behind it, then we can now, okay, okay, there's, 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 a, there's, there's stability to my world around me. The world's, there's, there's stability here, so that helps me to feel safe. I may not like what the rules are. It's like when you go to a new job and you want to find out, you know, they give you the handbook, but then you find out what the real rules are. It's what really goes on, you know. Who it is that has the right to, to make the coffee or choose what kind of coffee it is. You know, th those kind of, you know, and then you, you, you just have to adjust to it, but at least there's, there's some security, there's some stability there, because there's a rationale about why things happen. And that's the way our mind is built, to find reason behind things, because it gives us somewhat of a sense of control. I may not like it, but at least I can figure out why it happened. And that makes us feel safe and secure. The problem is... There's so many things that happen, we can't figure out why. So what man does is we come up with our own reasons. Well, God wanted an angel in heaven. So they took them to be an angel in heaven. Now, if you've got a relative that said that to you about somebody, don't get mad at them because that's the crutch that they're using to hold themselves up. And unless you're willing to hold them up yourself, don't kick the crutch out from underneath them. But for your own understanding of what you're going through, recognize that those ideas are man's ideas. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Man does not know. Now, there are things we can know. If I stick my finger in a light socket, I don't have to need a lot of spiritual discernment to know why I got shocked. If I stand outside in a pouring rain with no shirt on in 20 degree weather and I get sick, I don't have to pray a lot about why I got sick. But that's by far the 
minority of situations. But when something happens to somebody 18 years of age, that doesn't fit in. That, wait a minute, that's, that's not, that doesn't happen. That's not supposed to happen. So now our mind tries to find ways to help understand this because it's got to find an answer so that we can feel safe and secure. But the only place we can go for the truth is to God's Word. And unless God tells us, we're not going to know. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 29. It's the last verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You ought to write it down. In fact, you ought to look at it at some point. It says this. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to you and your children so that they may obey His Word and His commands. Let me bring that down to a modern translation. There's some things that God knows that He has the nerve to say to us, none of your business. <gasps> none of my business? But He's God. Then there's some things that He will show you. But before you go telling other people what you believe God's shown you, you better be sure not only did God show you, but God showed it to you to tell other people. You know there are things God shows us that He just wants us to pray? But we think sometimes because God showed us something, I'm supposed to stand on a mountaintop and tell the world. You do that enough and God will stop showing you things. I was saying, Lord, give me an example of somebody in the Bible that, that went through something and so I can kind of use it as an example. And the one that kept coming to me I didn't want to look at because it's a troubling book. It's the book of Job. And I'm not going to begin to get into the book of Job. If you, if you really want that, then sign up for School of Ministry because next semester they'll teach on the book of Job. It's a, it's a troubling book because it deals with this issue of why do good people go through suffering? I mean... Job, in one day, lost all of his children and all of his possessions in one day. If you read through that first chapter, it's as if the servants were lined up in order to give him the bad news. You ever go through a day like that? Made it through that day, the next day, he gets boils break out on his body. If you read it, you'll understand... Satan was the one that did that. It wasn't God that did it. Job's wife was no help at all because her reaction was, she caved in immediately. She said, curse God and die. She got angry at God. And you don't hear about her again. Job had some nice friends that heard about this terrible thing Job went through. And so they got together. It says they made an appointment in the New King James. And they made an appointment together to go over and comfort their friend Job. Well, that's a good thing to do. And the first thing they do, they got right. Because they sat with him for seven days and didn't open their mouth.
when you're going through a time of suffering, whatever it is, you don't have an answer. And unless God's spoken it to you to tell somebody, and you better be sure, then what they need from you and what you need to do is just be there for them. Job's friends just sat with him. But they just couldn't do that forever. Because then they began to open their mouth and give them, him, their opinion of why he was going through this. And every time they opened their mouth, it just got worse and worse and worse. It's because you did this wrong. It's because you haven't done this. Blah, 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 blah. Under the pressure of what he was going through and the pressure of his friends, Job began to speak things out that were in his heart. Things that later on he said, I didn't know what I was talking about. But one of the things I see in this is, it's, it's okay to be real with God. Job just opened his heart and poured it out to God. And he got mad at God. Why? Basically, why is this happening to me? I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And if you read in the first two chapters, God's testimony about Job was he was upright. He was a righteous man and feared God. That doesn't mean he was perfect. And so Job said, when the, I can understand why this has happened to somebody else, but why is this happening to me? And he begins to, the more he talks, the more he poured it out, the more it came up out of him to the point that he got so angry at God, he said, what's not fair here is if anybody else did this to me, and God didn't do it to him, but if anybody else did this to me, I could sue you and bring you into court because you've treated me unfairly. And of course, Job's friends get involved in it and stir it up. See, that's what happens. People get together and they start talking about things that they don't have God's knowledge or wisdom about, and all they do is allow the devil to speak into the situation. So whatever's going on, whether it's in church, in your family, in your life, be careful how you open your mouth and what you say. Ephesians said, only speak things that are edifying. Wow, what if we were judged by that? Only let words out of your mouth that will build up. Job is so angry at God. God would have a right to just have fire come down out of heaven and strike him dead. But he sends a man named Elihu to begin to speak for God. To begin to bring God's perspective. And finally around chapter 40, God's had it. He begins to speak. And I picture this as this great courtroom scene. Because Job has asked for a mediator. He's asked for, the King James as a daysman, a judge to sit and arbitrate between God and him. Now, this is a righteous man, but we can have those kind of feelings. It's not fair. I don't understand this. And I'm going through this because I want to see what God's answer was. So God finally says to him, all right, you wanted me in court. Here I am. Now, not a physical court, but I'm going to answer your charges. So God starts with a series of questions. Where were you when I formed the earth, if you know? How did I hang the stars in the sky, if you know? And he goes through a series of these things, but 
Do you understand how I do this? And do you understand this? And around the end of chapter 40 or beginning chapter 41, Job begins to speak out and say, you know, I'm vile, I'm a terrible person. I don't know. He turned around the other way and he fainted. And said, well, yeah, you know, well, you could never get anything good out of me. I'm a piece of trash. And God didn't stop that because that was the other way of not handling correction right. Is fainting. And God just picks up again. Can you pick the Leviathan up with your hand? Can you do this? And when God, what's God doing there? He's reminding Job of who he is. It's worship. He's giving, because Job, out of the sincerity of his heart, out of even in the middle of all his uprightness, still did not understand. He had lost the fear of the Lord. He lost an awareness of who God really is. And then he says, finally he realizes, it gets through to him who this God is. And he breaks inside. What you see as you read through that, with all of Job's righteousness, uprightness, there was a, a sense of self-righteousness, of what he was entitled to. See, in order to receive mercy, you have to realize that you're entitled to nothing. Good. That the only standing we have before God to talk to Him, to expect Him to answer or do anything, the only standing we have before God to not be judged on the spot is the cross. Is the cross. Because the other side of that cross, God is a righteous, holy God. And the moment you step out of His will, the moment you have a thought, a motive that's not holy in his world of holiness that's judged and there's a penalty for it. So the fact that we don't go through that and that we don't pay that every time we get a wrong thought or wrong motive is because of the cross. It's because God is God. And what I want you to see this morning is God brought Job out of his suffering, out of his, out of his turmoil, out of all this agony he was in. In that case, not by just putting God's arm around him, but by reminding Job who God is. And he broke and he said, I've spoken things I have no knowledge of. Now it's interesting what God says to him next. He says, so here's what you've got to do. I'm ready to judge your friends because of the things they've said about me. But I want you to go pray for your friends. And it says that as Job prayed for his friends, he was healed. The healing that came to him was not getting angry at anybody, not judging anybody. The healing that came to him was when he got outside of himself and he prayed for somebody else that was entitled to be judged, was entitled to get... Because that's all of us, aren't it? He prayed for someone else and as he prayed for them, it brought healing to him, and once he was healed, God not only restored to him everything he had, but he got over twice 
what he lost back. Through the valley of the shadow of death. Through the valley of the shadow of death. How? Because the psalmist says, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod was what the shepherd used to correct. And the staff is what the shepherd used to protect and to direct them when they got off track with the hook of that thing. He said, it comforted me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. With the way everything may look to you now or feel to you now, God wants to prepare a table before you. What is that table? Well, the word is food for our soul. The word is food for our soul. This is where the Psalms are so comforting. Not a lot of theology in there, but there's a lot of comfort in there. In the presence of your enemies, He anoints my head with oil. That's a healing oil, a soothing oil. It also represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. My cup runs over. Surely goodness. Now he's looking to the future. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. So the shepherd brings comfort and provision, but he also brings perspective. You'll go through the valley. You'll go through the valley. You'll go through the valley. Why? Because he's your shepherd. He's our shepherd. We'll go through the valley. And when we come through the valley, the hope we have, the hope we have in the valley, the hope we have on this side, the hope we have on that side, is that surely, certainly, definitely, absolutely, mercy and goodness will follow us all the days of our life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Tears and sorrow is for the night. But joy, 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 joy comes in the morning. Joy comes when the light comes up and you can see the truth. Joy comes up when the sun arises and you can see the light and the truth of what really is out there because it's in the nighttime that the shadows loom over you. It's in the nighttime that the shadow of death speaks to you and tells you if it got that boy, it's going to get yours. If it does this, it's going to do that. The shadow speaks to us in the nighttime, but joy comes in the morning because in the morning the sun shines and the light is out there and we can see the truth. As God sees the truth. And that is forever. That is forever. That is forever. That is forever. I want to turn to Psalm 73.
It's a story of another psalm of Asaph. And he was struggling with something he couldn't understand. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps nearly slipped. In other words, he said, I know God's good to us, but I've got to tell you honestly, I've almost stumbled. I'm having trouble with what's going on. Now, with what he's going to look at here, it's not the same thing we're talking about today, but it's dealing with something that doesn't fit in, that doesn't make sense. My steps nearly slipped. Verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, what he's saying is, I look around me, and the people that are wicked, that are carnal, that of the world, they're prospering, and we're suffering. We're struggling. And he said, I know God's good to Israel, but when I look at this picture, this reality, it doesn't compute, and I'm struggling with it. And he said, I've struggled so badly with this, I've almost stumbled in my walk with God. Now let's see how he handled it. He pours his heart out. There are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're proud. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart. They have more than a heart could wish for. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning the oppressed. They speak loftily or proudly. They set their mar- they set their mouth against the heavens. Boy, does that talk about the world today? And their tongue walks through the earth. The, the dirt talks dirt. Therefore, as people return here, as the waters full of cup are drained by them, and they say, how does God know? No, they don't have to pay attention to who God is. God doesn't even really exist. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease, and they increase in their riches. But surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've done what's right, and where's it gotten me? He's trying to compute this. When he looks at the world around him, it doesn't match what he expects ought to be happening. I wash my hands in innocence. Verse 14, For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Now listen carefully. If I had said, I will speak this, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Listen to what he's saying there. If I just spoke out of my bitterness, if I just spoke out of my hurt, if I just spoke out of what I was thinking... I would have been brought injury to the next generation. You understand we affect each other? I mean, Friday night was an incredible example of how one 18-year-old's life affected so many people from college. I mean, people were just knew him in college for two months, his roommate. Spoke out of their heart, different things. Powerful. But the words we speak out of our mouth in time like this affect people. So if we just speak what we feel or speak what we think or speak what somebody else heard, we've got to realize that affects people around us, especially the next generation. Because they form their image about God from you and me until they develop their own. But we either give them a head start in one direction or a head start in the other direction. 
verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, how to wrap my mind around it, it was too painful for me. When I tried to make sense out of this, it was too painful for me. Ah, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I came to church. Until I turned to God. And notice what happens when he turns to God. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down. What happens is as he turns his eyes on God, he begins to see God's perspective on everything. He begins to allow God to open his eyes to see what was really going on. And God's perspective here was not what was going on in that moment. God's perspective here was the end result of everything, which is what we've been talking about this morning. In this case, Asaph's struggling because there are people he thinks are getting away with things, and God's opening his eyes and saying, yeah, they're getting away with it now. But there's coming an eternity in which they will not have gotten away with it. So he's saying, step back and look from my perspective from eternity and you will gain understanding. Verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I'm so foolish and ignorant. He's realizing the things he thought, the things he wanted to say, the attitude he had, when he saw things from God's perspective, he said, my heart's grieved. I'm vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. And it was, I was like some dumb animal in front of you. Nevertheless, I am... This is, look at this. This is just like Psalm 23. I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Really, who, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there's really none on earth that I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, and I will declare your works. I love the Bible for many reasons, but one of the reasons is God doesn't sweep things under the rug. God takes real people going through real issues of life and just writes them on the pages of eternity for us to grow from their experiences and to learn from them that they went through something, but the ones that succeeded went through it. And they came through it into God's light, into God's truth, into God's perspective. So I end with these words. We will get through it. Whatever you're going through, whatever, however this has affected or impacted you, we will get through it. We will get through it because God's still on the throne. He's still God. He still loves us. He still loves the Barbosa family. He still loves you no matter what you've thought or going through. He still loves you.
But the way you'll go through it is to catch your eyes, not on everybody around you, not on all the news and all the talk, but your eyes, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will bring me through this valley and surely, certainly, the end, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I have this present awaiting me at the end of my birthday. At the end of the meal, I have this waiting for me and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, my shepherd, forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you are ever present with us. Lord, we would like it that because you're our shepherd, we would never have to go through difficult times. That's what we'd like. But that's not the way it is. But the assurance we have from you is that you will come through everything we go through with us and in us. That you will strengthen us, you will comfort us, you will guide us, and that you have awaiting us at the other end joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have awaiting us at the other end a promise, an assurance, a hope, a steadfast hope of an eternity with you. Give us a glimpse of that through this time. Give us a glimpse of what awaits us so that that hope, that assurance, that confidence may be sure and strong in us and grow stronger every day. We pray for this body, Lord, all of us, as we go through this time of challenge. Again, we pray for the family, the Barboza family, and all their extended family, Lord, who don't have this understanding. We pray for them also, Father. And we thank you for the assurance that surely goodness and mercy will follow all of us all the days of our life. And those that know you shall dwell in your house forever. Amen.